0: This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501 C3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the 4.5 trillion US dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Max Gomez. Max grew up in New Jersey and came to California with the plan of studying neuroscience. His plans changed when he realized he had a lifelong struggle with dyslexia. Simultaneously, while working as an EMT, he was exposed to the power of breath and acting as a remote control for our emotions. He coupled that with experiences in marketing and a few years post-graduating launched the company Breathwork. Uh, Max, thank you
1: so much for being with us today. Yes, thank you for having me, Asim. I'd love for if you could take us back to growing up in New Jersey and what that was like.
2: Yeah, so I'm from a small town in central New Jersey called Flemington. Population's really small in downtown area. It's around 3,000 people. Um, But our high school was pretty large, so it had around 4,000 students in it. So I got to grow up with a small town experience with this, you know, almost college like high school experience. But being from a small town and you know, a bunch of um, small towns around Sandy to High School, um, a lot of people going to my high school were primarily people from families where they were more corporate endeavors. Um, their parents were either working in corporations and many not many of them had small businesses or ran their own companies. So I didn't even understand what, you know, being an entrepreneur was. Um, at that age growing up. I was never exposed to that type of lifestyle, that type of people. I was exposed to a very homogeneous kind of uh, polling of people doing very similar things. Um, in central New Jersey, there's a lot of people working in pharma, so my dad also worked in pharma, and that's kind of the experience I was exposed to um, growing up. Which side of the pharmaceutical industry was your father involved with? Dad was on, um, so he worked for a few different ones. He currently works at Suka Pharmaceuticals now. Have you been, has your family been in New Jersey for a few generations or
1: is, what's the origin? Yeah,
2: so my grandmother was from New Jersey. My mother is from New Jersey. My father moved to New Jersey when he was 14 from Columbia. Um, so immigrant family coming to America and he definitely had some um, experiences coming here. My father also only has one eye too. Um, He had retinoplastoma, so he had eye cancer. So not only did he have that, um, you know, uh, facing him, he also had his own race against him too in the beginning. Um, When he first moved here, they weren't really that accepting towards uh, minorities, especially in the places that they were moving to. Like they wanna move to more, um, you know, white communities and, and more established communities and, you know, they were turned away from housing in areas that just didn't want to have hispanic latino community to move in um so it, it just he faced a lot of that and that must have been really tough for him and you know i looked at my dad i was like wow like i can't believe he's he's made it through all that um and still is able to to function yeah today. did you face any of those issues growing up interestingly enough like i most people don't really know my rate my last name is gomez but like growing up i was bullied a lot actually for being Latino um, which makes no sense like I tell people that today and it surprises them but I I was bullied for that purpose um, of being different I think it was a combination of me just being different and maybe entrepreneurial or ADD and just kind of having like the ethnic background was what made me kind of the pick on kid for bullies
1: Wow. so your parents are still in New Jersey
2: yeah, my parents are still in New Jersey. Um, I moved out to California actually to go to college at USC, study neuroscience and picked up a minor entrepreneurship. But um, I remember me and my dad took a road trip across the country to drop me off at USC. And it was the first time I actually saw him teary-eyed because he knew that I was never gonna come back from LA to you know our small town in New Jersey. Um, wow, yeah, especially for what you're doing, absolutely. Um, do you have siblings? Yeah, so I'm actually the youngest out of four. So oh. older brother, 29, older sister, 28, another older sister, 26. Are they all entrepreneurs like you? No, actually, I'm the only entrepreneur in the family. Um, you know, they always say the youngest is always the odd one out. And I definitely feel like I'm the odd one out. Um, a lot of them are still based in New Jersey, but they just have um, corporate jobs. One of my sister's a nurse, my other sister is a lawyer. Um, so just like very traditional jobs the things like your family not really understanding what you're doing is is definitely a low and hard point to get through. But then the highs of like an amazing deal coming through or being featured in, you know, a a news outlet or something is really exciting too. But you can't allow either to pull you up too high or or pull you down too low. I wonder if your being an EMT
1: influenced your ability to be an entrepreneur.
2: Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yes, yeah, so I originally went to college under the assumption that I would become a neurosurgeon. That was my original interest in college, but going through college, I realized that you know, I do have learned disability of dyslexia, so that was holding me back from actually being able to get really good grades in some of the mathematical classes. Um, but I still love my neuroscience major, so I kept that, and that's why I studied neuroscience. But originally I you know, was doing all the things to become an, um, a neurosurgeon, so getting, other prerequisites to go to med school. So being an EMT was one of those prerequisites. Um, so I went to EMT training for a summer, um, was an EMT for a year, and it's just kind of one of the, the things that comes up in EMT school is just you have to be the person who is calm in the most stressful of situations. So you know sometimes there's people dying in front of you, sometimes there's people screaming in front of you, sometimes you're, you're there for a psychological um mental breakdown and every single situation you just have to be the calming person there because more often than not um the people just call an emt or they call an ambulance because they just need someone else there to be calm and usually that actually does do the trick and a lot of what you notice being emt is that most people have a lot of their um, fear and problems in their head and also in the breathing too so One of the things that you do when you first get to people is be that voice of calm and reason and say, Hey, we're going to do everything we can for you. Um, And then you actually kind of get them breathing too. So you either give them oxygen or tell them to calm, slow down. And then most people feel better and are able to kind of work through what they're going through. And a lot of people actually don't end up getting on the back of an ambulance and going to the hospital, um, depending on the situation, obviously. Um, when it is for like a more minor incidents, they kind of feel more calm and like, okay, I could actually handle this and go to the doctor myself. Instead of actually having to take, catch a ride in the back of an ambulance, which could be extremely pricey.
1: What an amazing exposure to the power of breath for you to have as the foundation for what you're doing now. I think that's yeah. really <laughs> extraordinary. I'm curious about why neuroscience and, and why California?
2: Yeah. Well, California, it just, how it's just California. Like the the weather oh, is amazing. <laughs> like there's so much to do out here. People are way more laid back than they are in New York. Um, not everyone's in a rush all the time. And yeah, I think that's the most appealing part of California is definitely that. Um, and neuroscience for me was, I just love the brain. I have just, I read books about psychology. I read books about like human behavior. Um, I love reading all these things and understanding all these things about how we work and why we work. It's just, I guess maybe in the beginning, unbeknownst to me, it was just a way of trying to understand myself a little bit more and my own you know, faults and my own like learning disabilities and trying to see if there's any way to understand that further. But it's just such like, a beautiful thing to kind of be able to really understand people and yourself and it makes the world and your own self-care more nav- like navigable, navigable is the word for it. Yeah. Um, so that's like what really drew drew me to it in the beginning. That is so
1: um, fascinating, and I love that share. So, was your dyslexia diagnosed at an early stage?
2: It wasn't until I was in college, actually. When oh. yes, um, and I actually never fully read a book cover to cover until last summer, actually. And since then, I've read over probably twenty books, um, very very thick books. And that was one thing with me is like I. I, I knew something was, was up because I could never read for that long. Um, and I also would always write emails or always write things out and things would be out of place. Um, still to this day, it's something I struggle with heavily. I, I work on it, but there's certain things where I'll be reading an email or I'll be typing something out, um, and the words are just out of place. They're missing. Um, the sentences aren't making sense sometimes. And it is a little bit frustrating sometimes and it does take more time and caution on my part but um it's definitely something to try to work through now
1: that's fantastic so it sounds like you've developed the strategies to be able to manage it
2: yeah and just kind of continuing to grow the muscle um i mean no matter how much i read it doesn't go away but it does get a little bit easier and stronger over time when, it, when i read more All
1: Right. wow um so college was a really pivotal experience you're you have this realization and then it dawns on you that maybe going into medicine isn't what's going to be best for you. Um, How was that conversation with your parents or with other loved ones close to you? How did that all go?
2: Well, it's interesting. So I didn't, it kind of happened end of sophomore year when I realized that I don't think med school is right for me. But it happened in my fraternity. One of my fraternity members who was an entrepreneur himself, I remember just talking to him one time about what I wanted to do and he was like, you should take some entrepreneurship classes. I think you'd like that and be good at that. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll be good at that. And I remember going and transitioning into my first entrepreneurship class and my mind was just blown. I'm like, you could start your own company. You don't have to work for anyone else you can create your ideas and run with them. You can raise capital and you can do all these amazing things and you can sell a company and make a lot of money. And they, it just sounded so exciting to me and, and no one ever told me that that world was possible. So when that opened up to me, I was like a kid in a candy store. And I remember in my classes, like the professors would just always call on me to get my opinion on things because I was just so engaged and so into the material that they were doing. And it was to the point where certain professors were just like, let's try to start a company together. I have this idea, like, I want you to run it for me. Um, and that was a great exposure and a great confidence booster to get, you know, that backing from professors who believe in you, um, you know, see talent in you and, and want to nourish you and work with you. But transitioning to telling that to my parents, um, I think the I don't really remember that conversation with them. I think it was like I was at the point where I was just kind of more comfortable just like doing my own thing. and navigating my own path and you know not worrying about having to impress them um but it was definitely i think it was more shocking to them the kind of jobs i was working on um i think that was more um you know unstable for them like you know you're working with these business people and like you know there's no company yet like i used to work for different startups or try to start companies or do consulting um and you know they're like they're so risky like you know where your employee benefits like all, all the stuff and um yeah I love that was that. That, the, the
1: the bad news was not mom and dad i'm not going to med school the bad news was i'm going to be
2: an entrepreneur yeah <laughs> exactly and um you know they never saw that entrepreneur side they've always worked for the stability of someone else and i think they're definitely way more attracted to stability than i am But even within stability or the perception of stability, there's really no real stability. It's all perceived. Um, So it's just kind of an interesting perspective that we have that differs.
1: What do you think it was that you said to your friend in the fraternity that made him conclude
2: that entrepreneurship would be really well suited for you? Yeah, I remember this actually. I was telling him about how I just wanna influence and help as many people as possible. And he was like, being a neurosurgeon. Yes, you can help a few people here or there. But that's not really it. And I think that's what kind of sparked it. And I think he also maybe saw a little bit of that like extra drive I had in myself to not follow the rules. Um, I didn't like following the rules, and you know those the foundations there, you know, didn't really suit me, and I didn't always want to do that. So I think he saw that, and he's like, this maybe this is more for you.
1: So. You graduate from USC and you do a lot of um, marketing-type roles. Um, talk us through
2: that those transitions. Yeah, so I actually had an internship in college at Red Bull and it was their uh, cu- uh, cultural marketing department. So Grace Culture Marketing was bought or under Red Bull and they were doing their cultural marketing, which I didn't know much about marketing to begin with, and I didn't know what cultural marketing was. But what I realized what cultural cultural marketing is, is kind of marketing with um, celebrities and influencers and putting your product out there and positioning yourself in front of them so they use your product organically and like it. So it's almost this kind of like, you're influencing people without really their knowledge about it to get them to like your product, but you're not really forcing yourself or forcing a deal on them. Right. What we do is we would um, host events for celebrities We'd also um, drop packages of Red Bull off at celebrities' houses. And the mission of this is to always be like in the green room or before on stage. We have Red Bull there. So the celebrity would walk out and we'd have our paparazzi, which is paid for, take a picture of them with the Red Bull. And then that would go on social media. And then that would be the way to brand it. And the way that we you know, attribute success to that was every single picture of a celebrity walking out with a can of Red Bull or the can of Red Bull in their hand was a win and a success for us. But it was fascinating how much money was put into this cultural marketing activation from Red Bull. Um, But that also being said, Red Bull is one of the biggest brands out there and you spend billions of dollars, I think $2 billion a year on marketing alone. Um, So half of all the revenue goes right back into marketing. Yeah, and
1: I mean, they also, I'm a big soccer fan. They sponsor a football team in Germany. Yeah,
2: and then New York Red Bulls too.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Thierry Henry played.
2: Uh, Thierry Henry played there. I, remember I shook his hand there one time. Oh, one wow. Of, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> one of my friends from high school, I played soccer um, in, in high school with him, actually, plays for the New York Red Bulls now.
1: Nice. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah. What position did you play? I played forward in high school. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, just uh, just being fast and kind of squirrel minded was, was the, I think that forward was the best for me. Yeah,
1: that seems to suit your personality. I totally. <laughs> <get it. Yeah.
2: laughs> nice. So, um, what happens after Red Bull? Yeah. So after Red Bull, so I get into crypto for a hot second. Um, so cryptocurrency was a thing. I started the crypto club at USC. I started trading cryptocurrency for people and for myself and me and one of my friends started a cryptocurrency hedge fund um, in college. So, um, he was connected into a bunch of individuals who would just invest a couple thousand dollars into it and we'd manage it for them. So portfolio manager for them. And we got like, you know, a decent amount of money in crypto. We got up to like a hundred thousand dollars in crypto, but then everything crashed and went to like 7,000 to $14,000. Um, and that was like, a great lesson for me in valuation and valuing things and how like everything is just kind of perception of value and how these companies got such high these cryptocurrency companies got such high valuations because of their perceived value over their actual intrinsic value like they were actually returning no revenue to anyone um but like because their website looked great because their product offering looked great their white paper looked great they were able to get such high valuations and that was something that i definitely applied to to breathwork early on was i want to make sure this looks like a real company before even is a real company here um and that really helped us get us kickstarted because that trust issue and that trust factor in the beginning of a new company is so hard in building that so you know i think that's one big thing i learned from that yeah and then after diving into cryptocurrency for a couple of months i think i went to star engine which is an equity crowdfunding funding platform and there I was kind of working on marketing and stuff. And then after graduating college, I worked for this entrepreneur out in Venice to help him kind of start companies. So he had this incubator. His whole idea was hire a bunch of uh, talented young individuals from USC and from good Ivy League schools and just kind of incubate them and see what they could come up with. Um, kind of like an entrepreneur in residence. Entrepreneur in residence, yeah. and. Um, it was funny because like we we had these great ideas, but you know we didn't really get too far with these ideas. It's so important that kind of cultural immersion, and you see
1: it in, in the arts a lot, like uh, artist colonies or clusters of artists, or in, historically in movements, like writers flocking together and uh, making some amazing work. Um, and so I, I, did very much think it's the same with, uh, entrepreneurship because you're in close proximity to people. You're talking about the same thing. You're seeing the same trends. You're bouncing ideas off quickly. So I, I think it's a great sort of a cauldron, so to speak, to, to yeah. get some amazing output.
2: Yeah. And one thing that was taught to me in my entrepreneurship class, which I'll never forget, I think it's the four loser rule. Like if you hang out with three losers, you're always the fourth. Out know, with three winners, you're always the fourth winner. So I always thought about that. And, you know, with entrepreneurship, I just want to pin myself to the best people out there I possibly could. Um,
1: Makes sense. Yeah, those ratios are pretty harsh, but uh, I can actually <laughs> see that uh, playing out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, talk me through because you've shared this with me. I've heard it now twice and like the genesis of uh breath work and the things going on in your life at the time, um, are just such a
2: powerful story. So I'd love for you to, to share about those. Yeah. So I'm about like, when I first started to at breath work, it was about a year and a half to two years out of college. Um, and you know, I'm coasting out of college, still finding my foot in being a young man um, in the workforce is, is it very deterring because you're at the bottom of your game. You have zero respect, and like also, there's really not many girls who want to be attracted to a guy who's just starting the career too. So it's just, you kind of feel a little bit lonely there. But um, I remember, I think I was like thinking I had it all together, and I got this job as a chief product officer, and um, it was great. I was like being able to to have this like good title and this good job, and but the problem was like, the management there wasn't, wasn't too good. Um, it was a little bit tough to work with that person and that person kind of degraded me a little bit sometimes and telling me that was unprofessional, telling me that I wasn't ready for this job. Um, so that, was, that hurt a little bit. Of course, it's a very rough work environment to be in. Yes. Yeah, I think some people just don't understand the words they say kind of affect people in ways And it just, you know, like I said, like there's a lesson in everything. So I I kind of apply that to to what I do today to make sure I don't say these things that reproduce these behaviors that happened in the past. Well, Um, as
1: I'm sure you've pieced together by now, those are usually stemming from insecurities that the
2: person saying them have. Of course, yeah. And then, so that was happening and then went through a breakup after a long two-year breakup, which is, you know, your first heartbreak is definitely devastating. Um, And then my grandmother passed away too. So my grandmother who was a very um, maternal figure in my life and just kind of like that always caring, loving mother figure um, passed away. And that it didn't, in the beginning it was, I was in California for so long that it didn't really affect me until a couple months later when I actually realized the impact that she had on my life. Um, So, you know, that happened and then loss of a job so this all happened within the span of 3 months and it all really got to me and it put me into this hyper anxious depressed state and i went to you know find a therapist online found this amazing therapist and it was a life changing experience to go to that and but i remember first going to him you know he definitely saw that okay you need to find a way to relax and calm down your body and the first thing we tried to go through was meditation and try to sit there, try to meditate. It just wasn't happening for me. Um, I think most people can relate to that, especially young people with our attention spans decreasing ever more over time with like the inventions of TikTok. Um, It's really hard to sit there and to meditate. It feels very boring. Um, And you don't know if you're doing it right too. To get that feedback and gratification from meditation does take a lot of time and a lot of practice. So that wasn't really happening for me. I couldn't really stick to that. And then the other option was like medication, and I didn't want to go on medication because I, you know, from my background in neuroscience, I understand the repercussions of medication. Like it's definitely it's useful for people who really need it, but it can have residual effects and can kind of mess up your neurochemistry and your chemical imbalances, and you know have these effects that last longer than than needed. Um, so I wanted to find something to kind of cope with with this anxiety and the last thing that he taught me was just simple breathing exercises and I just remember sitting in his office on this traditional therapist you know sofa and him taking me through a breathing exercise and visualizing my breath go down into my belly and breathing through my nose and blowing it up like a balloon in my belly and then breathing out slowly for a count of six seconds and that was just like something that was so powerful that within like 15 to 30 seconds I'm like oh like I feel amazing. Like I just, I wasn't breathing. And this is just something so silly that I just wasn't doing that's so helpful. So I remember, you know, applying that the day later, another day later and then just applying that every single time I felt anxious. And it was a really great way to control my anxiety and to just be able to, you know, stay out of bed and stay out of my house for longer periods of time in the beginning. And it was just so empowering to me that I learned this new thing that was so simple and such a no brainer. Um, of breathing and of breath work. And I started to dive more into it. And I learned that there's just so many different forms of breathing out there. There's breathing for athletic performance, there's breathing for sleep, there's breathing for energy, there's breathing to, for more a psychedelic experience, there's breathing for something um, to definitely help with depression and PTSD. And I was so shocked to find the array of stuff out there.
1: Yeah, maybe um, describe a little bit how those are different
2: yeah so with breathing you know it's said to be the remote control to your nervous system um they say that you know your emotional reaction center and your and your breath are very well connected to each other so if you have an emotional reaction to something then your breathing pattern and your breathing depth and breathing rate um it follows that emotional uh, pattern so if you're able to manipulate it in the way that you actually manipulate your breathing pattern to evoke a certain emotion and you're able to send that signal to your brain, which goes back to your body. So if you were to breathe like someone who's in a very calm, well-rested state, you're going to see your blood pressure start to lower. You're going to see your, your pulse start to lower and start to feel more calm, present. And it's actually your body putting yourself in a parasympathetic state, which is the rest and digest state. Um, But if you breathe on another way, if you breathe like some athlete, you know, training to run the 100 meter dash, then you're going to feel more awake and more alert and more in the moment and start to evoke more uh, more of a sympathetic reaction, which is the fight or flight state. So you increase your adrenaline, um, you increase your your blood pressure, you increase um, your ability to concentrate for longer. And you also help kind of get blood um, oxygen offloaded to your cells more. Um, So you feel this crazy energy. And, um, you know, if the, what I learned out there was that you could do those things too, and they could also do breath training. So you could practice breath retention, which actually helps increase your endurance and increase the amount of red blood cells reproduced in your body, which is really fascinating. And you could also increase your ability to hold your breath too, um, with simple breath retention practices, which can help, you know, with diving, with surfing, but also again, with endurance and high elevation, uh, sporting and training.
1: That's great. Um, thanks for walking us through that.
2: It's really helpful.
1: And uh, I mean, once you say it, of course, it seems very logical, but for the layperson who's just hearing about it, it seems like, oh, uh, are they different? So that's a great explanation. So um, share with us about your meeting your co-founder.
2: Yeah, so I remember, you know, I was coming out of therapy. I'm starting to finally get my grounding. I'm learning about breath work. And um, it actually happens two weeks before I meet her. I get this anxiety attack and I remember going to the app store right after that anxiety attack to see if anyone had like a breathing exercise app that kind of did what or headspace did for meditation. And to really my surprise, there was nothing out there. There was some, you know, apps that had breathing included in it, but there was nothing that had a whole library of breathing and there was nothing that looked nice or easy to use. So um, at the time my boss was going on vacation for two weeks, um, hence the two weeks and I'm like, I'm gonna give myself two weeks to see how far I can get with creating, you know, a Breathwork app and a Breathwork company. So I go to this coffee shop in in um, in Santa Monica. So I put together an Instagram page, I put together a prototype, for, so I started designing design the whole front end of, of Breathwork as mostly what we see right now. I've designed a lot of that in, two, in the first two weeks, design all the front end of that, I put together a website, Start collecting emails and put together a pitch deck too. And at the end of the two weeks, I remember one of my old um, friends, mentors um, in my network, called me and she's like, "Hey, like, you know, want to come and brainstorm ideas at my place? I have this amazing person, Addie, coming over. She's, you know, scaled companies to X amount of dollars. She's um, worked at Twitter. She's done this. She's done that. And." Um, she just has so many cool things that she's done. And I'm like, yeah, of course I want to meet her. And, and then I showed Addie it when she, Addie came over. Addie was like, this is so cool. Do you want to partner with me on it? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then shortly after that, she pulls out her phone and shows me that one of the top notes in her phone, what she was thinking about was create a breathwork app. So it's happened to be that we were at the same place at the right place, the right time. Um, and we both had the same idea and same energy about the, the field. Uh,
1: I love that kind of serendipitous coming together. It's almost like the universe just put you right where you needed to be. And kudos to you for being open to it. Um, what milestone would you like to see breathwork hit
2: where you, Max Gomez, will say, this has been a success? The next step is you know building this so everyone can be exposed to this, so everyone can know the tool of breathing that you have and that it can be applied to so many different areas of life and that's the thing like our mission now is to be a global you know direct-to-consumer company that everyone looks to for breathing it was it was like solving a problem in my own life like i needed this out there and i love designing and building products and branding like why not just make it that's Um,
1: those are always the best stories of entrepreneurial success because you are the target customer
2: yeah. yeah
1: Well, excellent. Again, Max, thank you so much. Really appreciated having you on the show. Awesome,
2: Esteem. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.